Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hey guys, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. We just had a massive Wonderworld event, Youth Alive event Friday night, so I'm still buzzing. We held up the traffic. Literally, people could not get into the venue, so it was unbelievable. We had 5,000 young people, and it just is event like an event, I should say, like nothing else. So if you want to have a look, I will put some pics on Girl Next Door Instagram, but go and check out Youth Alive QLD. It's just amazing. So... Um, also just before I get going, guys, brand new collection. I'm so excited about this one. Pop psychology. If you're anything like me, that might be a whole new term for you. So we'll get into that in just a moment, but I just wanted to give a quick shout out and a thank you to my buy me a coffee supporters and listen, there's not much left in there. I'm actually sipping on an almond ice latte. That is my drink of choice, guys, almond ice latte. So, um, but thank you to those that do support the podcast. As you know, um, I would love to aim to have enough um, supporters to be able to do this a day a week, but shout out to Chloe, Vanessa, Kylie, Sophie, Louise, Marie, Pam, Christina, Renee, Rochelle, Adriana, Lola, Jasmine, Brittany, Rachel, Ash, Emily, and a brand new um member Sammy. Guys, I love you. Also, you can do a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts because that always helps too. All right, on with today, on with the show. I think this is going to be a long one. Okay, let me introduce the collection first and then we will get into the topic of today. Uh, So I mentioned a second ago about pop psychology. Now, I came across this, kudos to one of my listeners, um, in Tassie, actually, who is also a friend of mine who made this comment about pop psychology when I put something on my Instagram. And I was like, straight away, I kind of understood what it meant. And I was like, I love that term. So I started looking it up and then I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to do a whole collection on this because there is so much involved and so many things to talk about. But just in case you don't know what it is, it's basically any psychology, idea, ideology, or therapy, which has gained popularity through like a book or a TV show or a blog, or maybe like a celebrity, and definitely because of social media, right? So we're talking psychology ideas or therapies that, you know, they might not have been popular 30, 40 years ago, but they're popular right now. So they're popular to current culture. And by the way, these are not necessarily scientifically backed, okay? They're just popular because everyone says it's so. I'll give you some examples so you understand. So in the 80s, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but there was this really popular book, but it kind of started like this movement. They were talking about it on talk shows. It's called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, And then fast forward a few decades and there was another book that turned into a movie and then Oprah had the people on her show called He's Just Not That Into You. Great movie, by the way. So, you know, we've got these psychology ideas around relationships. Um, Often with pop psychology, the whole point of it is to help us understand ourselves and so that we can self-improve. So these are ideas that talk 
to us around, you know, how to be better lovers and leaders, how to be happier, thinner, smarter, fitter, richer, all of those things. Now, it's not necessarily based out of actual people who've studied psychology, although it can be. Anyone can be our inspiration. Okay, so in the like early 2000s, Oprah literally transformed this whole pop psychology, right? Because whatever Oprah said, she's not trained, but whatever she said, we all believed. And so she came up with all sorts of ideas, you know, like you would hear her talking about the universe instead of God, the universe and what the universe brings to you. So these are the kinds of things we're talking about. Now, current pop psychology, right, in the last couple of years is very centered around mental health and our emotions and how we feel. There's a lot around lived experience. And it's really, from what I've noticed, everything is about being labeled, right? You've got to label everything. You've got to label everyone. So here's some examples. Um, Vulnerability. That's become very popular through Brené Brown. You've probably heard of her. Uh, Other examples, toxic positivity. Have you heard of that? Yeah, that's the whole idea that being too positive can be harmful. Um, Love bombing is an example of pop psychology. We hear about this when people leave churches. Oh, I was love bombed when I first came and then I got ignored, that kind of idea. Um, The thought that or the concept that everyone has trauma, unconscious bias, religious abuse, church hurt, gaslighting, safe spaces, trigger warnings, um, working out how you identify, manifesting, uh, the concept of your all feelings are valid. Uh, And even the idea that people's opinions can now threaten you and harm you. So these are all, I mean, there's a whole bunch more, right? But you kind of get the drift. So it's ideas and therapies that have become popular because society and culture are telling us that they are. And of course, social media is fast tracking this. Now, I want to do a collection on this because I have incredible concerns around current pop psychology. Now, some of it is good. I mean, you think someone like Jordan Peterson, who, by the way, is an actual clinical psychologist, he teaches good stuff like taking responsibility and, um, you know, um, looking at your life and, and working hard and, you know, his book, The 12 Rules of Life. So that's become really popular, but that's a good thing. But most of what I'm seeing of pop psychology is over-dramatizing every experience in our life. And what I'm worried about is that it's really weakening resilience. Uh, I see this in mother world as well. I get a lot of mums that will message me or talk to me and go, oh, I'm so glad for your parenting episodes because everything else out there is about gentle parenting. So gentle parenting is an excellent example of pop psychology. It's a fairly, you know, it's a parenting style that's very, um, um, I guess, popularized right now. When I was growing up, it was not gentle parenting. It was get outside until it gets dark, go and play, (laughs) fend for yourself, right? So that's what I'm talking about, ideas that change over time. Now, the other concerning thing I think is there's a pill for every label that you might have. And so ADHD is the first one that comes to mind, and that is what we're going to talk about today. And it just concerns me that 
uh, and doesn't sit well with me, that we are led to believe that we are these, you know, disease-ridden, broken creatures that need huge amounts of medical care to keep us functioning, that we are in need of labels and medications. So we're going to explore a bunch of pop psychology over the next few weeks. But today, we've got a lot to get through about ADHD. I'm going to do a really deep dive in no particular order, and I really need you to listen to this, to the whole episode very open-mindedly. I've got a lot of background in this um, because of my career as a teacher. But my first thought is I went to Instagram and I looked up on the gift section, ADHD. And the first thing that comes up was this little spinning wheel that said, ADHD is your superpower. Straight away, we've got a popular, a pop psych idea right there, right? That did not exist a few decades ago. But right now, it's really popular and has become increasingly so to get an ADHD diagnosis and then, uh, you know, to be calling it your superpower, which I can understand from one point of view, because if you harness, uh, if you harness it, it, it could be. But it's just this whole glorifying of these labels that concerns me. Now, I was listening to some podcasts on this and I had a good giggle these two guys were talking about, do you remember, or have you heard of Dennis the Menace? Now, that was, um, look, guys, I'm even too young for Dennis the Menace, but we all know who he is. It was a sitcom from the 50s and 60s where this young boy, he is just like so naughty. He is a total rat bag. He is a nuisance and he terrorizes his neighborhood and especially his neighbor, Mr. Wilson. I think they did a renewed movie on it. Um, now, these guys that were talking on the podcast go, can you imagine if Dennis got into a time capsule with his mum and they traveled through time from the 60s to now to 2023? Can you imagine what would happen to him? There would not be a sitcom made about him uh, being this typical spirited mischievous boy. He would definitely be told by the teachers that he would have to go straight away to a pediatrician and have an ADHD diagnosis and he would be put on Ritalin. That would be the Dennis, the menace of today. And part of me is like, oh my Lord, take me back to the 60s where things were a little bit more simpler. So we all know what ADHD is. Now, sometimes it's referred to as ADD. It used to be years ago, which was the attention deficit disorder. <clears throat> It can come in two versions, with the hyperactivity or without. I've experienced both with children in my class, um, but they now just call it ADHD. That's the, the known term. Now, the reason this all started is because my Youth Live Academy students, we have so many conversations, just anything can come up on our days that we meet together. And they've been telling me over the past, we've really been talking about it for a couple of months now because... We've got a few um, a few students who've got firsthand experience with it, but also my students who work with young people, who work with teenagers, are observing this huge number of students uh, who, yes, they're already coming with the diagnosis, but increasingly now, older teenagers are being diagnosed with it. And that didn't used to happen. So, and where once it was more common amongst boys, they're starting to see a rise in girls, which is exactly what's happening with the transgender ideology, which I've talked about many, many times. So according to my students, 
these young teenage girls are being given medication that is suppressing their appetite for their ADHD, and it's actually giving them an eating disorder. And I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. I I didn't realize that. And so we've had a lot of discussions around it, and we will be talking more about it um, because I love hearing their stories because they are uh, right on the coalface of it. So ADHD can be, um, it, well, it centers around three different behaviors, which is impulsivity, inattentiveness, and hyperactivity. So it's a condition where someone's attention and hyperactivity deviates so significantly from what's considered the norm that their life is really impaired, right? So this makes it difficult for parents to parent children who have these behavioral issues, but it also means that the child or the teenager themselves find it really difficult to adapt into a lot of settings like sport or school or church. Now, no one can deny that we all know people that would fit into this category. Uh, there are definitely individuals who this is a real problem, but we're seeing something a little bit more than this. What we're seeing is a label that's beginning to be applied to the masses. And it's not based on, uh, we'll talk about this in a moment, it's based on this checklist. And a lot of people are self-diagnosing too. So let's look a little bit more into ADHD. It's, it's really the name that we're giving a bunch of symptoms, right? So it's a condition, but this is the differentiation that I've been hearing a lot of clinical psychologists that are starting to be really concerned about this is they're starting to say it might be a condition, but it's not the cause, right? So what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. If I eat something that's off, right? If I go through KFC and I have some chicken that's off and I get gastro, gastro is the condition, but it's not the root cause, right? The root cause is the food that I ate that obviously has got some salmonella on it. So if we take that and we apply that to ADHD, what they're saying is it's a condition, but what is causing this condition? So we're medicating this condition instead of actually exploring and acknowledging and dealing with the root cause. So that would be like, okay, Renee ate some off chicken. She's vomiting. She's on the loo. She's sick as, so let's give her some hydrolyte to treat the gastro but hey, keep on eating that chicken that made you sick. That's literally what, what we're doing, okay? So we are, it's like treating the gastro, but but keeping on doing what's making you get the gastro. So, so we're going to get more into this later. But what they're concerned about is that labeling a child with ADHD or an adult is actually missing a big part of the picture, what is really at the root cause? And people are not asking this question, and we are really going to explore this today. I mean, let me touch on a few things, but I'll go into a deeper dive in a moment. You know, could it be trauma from their an event that happened in their childhood? Could it be bad parenting and a lack of discipline? Could it be could it be the food they eat? Like there's been links between celiac disease, which is a gluten intolerance, and hyperactivity. Now, let me just say, guys, I've got many genuine friends who genuinely do, well, not many, a few, let me say a few. I've got a few friends who do genuinely struggle with these behaviors, right? That would come under the ADHD banner. But again, my question would be, what would be the underlying causes even for the genuine cases? 
I know mothers who are friends of mine who have got children who fit into this category as well. And I really feel for these people because what they're going through and what they are experiencing is almost being delegitimized by what's now become a trend of, oh, I've got ADHD, I'm an ADHD. So there's been this massive rise in the number of people diagnosed with ADHD. It has become commonplace. Now, ADHD used to be a diagnosis that was only used amongst practitioners for genuine cases. So these kids' behaviors were so severe that they needed clinical intervention. But now, because of globalization, because of social media, because of things like TikTok, it's just become commonplace and everyone knows the key indicators. You can jump on the internet and do a test yourself and go, oh yeah, I've got ADHD. So there's a lot of self-diagnosis going on, but I have so many questions. Why? Why are so many people being labeled? But more to the point, why do so many people want the label? Now, I had one of my um, one of my GND listeners who sent me a message. I had quite a few messages when I posted that I was going to talk about this. And she's like, Renee, I feel like the self-diagnosis is wild these days. People are just making up that they are ADHD because they saw a TikTok and they see a few similarities to them. Like maybe you're just a kinesthetic learner or extroverted or disorganized. So a lot of uh, you out there have questions around this as well. And by the way, that was a comment from someone who definitely could, if she wanted to, um, identify as this herself. So I want to explore these labels and explore the idea of the genuine struggles versus the the pop psychology that's becoming popular. And um, I think one clinical psychologist said it really well when he said that we are facing a mental health social contagion. Now, I've talked about social contagions before. This is what's happening with teenage girls who are identifying as transgender when medically and historically it's been, uh, it's been um, boys um, and, and they've always had a background of, of having identified or having struggled since they were a child. And so we've got all of these changes and it, when once one girl starts it, they all start it. So do we have a social contagion where it's like, oh, this will jump on the label bandwagon. And I do have to agree with that because we're hearing about more and more and more people that have a diagnosis of some sort. I have firsthand experience with this as a teacher. So modern medicine is promoting the belief that when we encounter challenges, we've got to search around outside of ourselves for a label and a medical expert and a pharmaceutical fix. And that my brain just goes down so, so many pathways when I think about that idea, even the way that like as girls that we're told, oh, you have PMS or um, the um, even like from menopause right down to puberty, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with your body and we've got to try and, you know, fix it and balance it. And it's like, well, what about the fact that maybe God's given us these innate extremely intelligent bodies and our bodies know what they're doing, but instead we are really buying into, and it's become normal to think that we have to search outside of ourself and find a fix and a, and a, especially a, a pharmaceutical fix. But that's become the way that things are. And I think we need to start challenging this narrative and to start realizing that if we just went back in time, even 10 years, that this was not the case. Now, my experience with ADHD, because I feel like 
I am going to say a lot about this because I've got a lot of experience with this as a teacher because, and this is the first big point I want to make, guess who is the one on the coalface of spotting and suggesting that someone gets tested other than the adults that are starting to self-diagnose? It's the teachers. Teachers are actually responsible for this. If teachers were not saying anything, none of these kids would be being diagnosed. Now, I had quite a few teachers reach out to me and Again, they said the same thing, that they're watching teachers doing exactly that. They're ascribing the label, or we're not actually allowed to ascribe it now, but they are suggesting that they want these labels of ADHD put onto clusters of kids who are simply badly behaved in the classroom. So um, according to this one teacher that reached out to me, she said, it's just easier for kids to be medicated than teachers to work out strategies on how to deal with this. But then There's a whole bunch of really uh, intuitive teachers who all talk amongst themselves, and this was my experience as well, where it's like all this labeling, it is just, it's rubbish. That's literally what a lot of very experienced teachers who've got the background knowledge and the historical knowledge of just a few decades ago are like, there is something not right here. This is not how things used to be. Now, in Australia, it is one of the most common neurodevelopment disorders, Now, the stats are one in 20 Aussies have ADHD. Now, that is a lot of people, but I think it's actually higher than that, especially if you look in any given classroom. But there's been a constant increase in diagnosis since the 90s. So I've made several observations over my career that span decades. And the first one, of course, is like I just said, teachers are on the coalface of this epidemic of ADHD. Teachers are the reason for large numbers of children with a diagnosis because they are the spotters. They're the ones making the suggestions to the to the, uh, the learning support people in the school and to parents that they need to take their child to a pediatrician. And so doctors are then giving diagnosis based largely on what teachers are saying because the pediatrician's like, hey, I've got this kid in my office for all of like 15 or 20 minutes. So you, the teacher, are with them every day, all day, and you're comparing them to all the other kids in your class so you would know. So the way that this is diagnosed, guys, is we were actually sent a questionnaire. I have filled out questionnaires before, and the parent is also sent out one as well. Now, I'm actually quite proud of this, but in my career that has spanned decades, I have only actually sent two children for a diagnosis, two, D-W-O. And I knew straight away um, that both of these children, and they were opposite. So one of them was a year three boy, and he definitely had a DD. He did not have the hyperactivity. He was the opposite. He was rarely focused, but not in a hyper way. He literally daydreamed all day, but he was the sweetest sweetheart of a kid. And then when I taught prep a few years later, uh, that was like an accelerated education for me because this is the year when a lot of kids will be diagnosed for the first time. They don't usually diagnose children in kindy because they want them to be a little bit older. And so usually prep is when they're first diagnosed. Uh, which I'll get to in a minute is very interesting why that might be as well. And so I had another little boy and my days, he definitely had ADHD and it came to a 
ahead when one day this the bell went from lunch and the whole class came back and he did not come back and the whole school had to go looking for him. We were I was panicking. He was this tiny, gorgeous little thing. And we had a main road near our school and I was just about in tears, like I've lost a kid in my class. Now, it turned out he was actually in the girls' toilets. We could see his little legs sitting and swinging there. But straight away, I'm like, I knew. I was like, he needs to go and be assessed. And so for him as well. But again, I even back then probably didn't know to look into more background, but I definitely was like, this child fits that and needs some sort of uh, intervention. Now, secondly, I've seen firsthand though, how more and more children are being diagnosed now, two decades later, compared to back a couple decades ago. So where there might've been one per class or one every couple of years, the last class that I taught about three, four years ago, I kid you not, at least half of my students, at least half had some sort of uh, label, not just ADHD, but a whole bunch of other things as well. Um, And so I'm really concerned about this rise in this labeling, especially with ADHD, because ADHD is actually a disorder of observation. It's not clinical, which we're going to get into in just a moment, but it really causes me to ask the question, why? And some people go, oh, it's just because you're more aware. Teachers are more aware now. That's absolute rubbish. You ask anyone that's been teaching as long as me, we always knew what to look for. I knew what ADHD was when I first started teaching. I knew what to look for. And there definitely were more kids. And I taught prep back then and I taught prep recently. And there definitely were more students, um, which we're going to get into why that might be. Now, thirdly, I've seen parent response change over the decades, right? So a few decades ago, in my experience, Um, parents, number one, were hesitant to even want to get the diagnosis and very hesitant to put their kids on medication. It was a last resort only if they were desperate. They would always try other things like diet and behavior management strategies, but now parents pretty much just accept it. Like if that's what the doctor says, then that's what we're going to do. And fourthly, I'm hearing about a lot more older teenagers and even adults now being diagnosed with ADHD. That's becoming a trend. Now, again, this didn't happen years ago. Now, I worked in a prep to 12, year 12 school, and it was very rare that teenagers were diagnosed. If they weren't diagnosed as children, and again, we knew what to look for, it was always caught when they were children. So it's interesting that that's being missed now right? Like in a, in a society that's super hypervigilant with ADHD and yet it's being missed when they're children. I don't think so, but all of a sudden they're getting it, like they're catching it when they're, when they're an, an adult or, a, or an older teenager. That's a really interesting thought. Now, let's just stop for a minute and we might even have to do this over two parts. We'll see how we go. But I just want to talk about the thought that maybe people would get offended that we're even exploring ADHD, even that in itself, the fact that a conversation or a thought or asking questions might maybe offend somebody. Um, You know, that in itself is actually a pop psychology idea. The thought that um, other people's ideas or other people questioning can harm you you know, years ago, we just called that life. It's just like, oh, you're not always going to like what other people say, or you're not always going to like other people's ideas. That's just life. But now that's considered harm. So I want to put that 
uh, filter on this conversation that I hope we can all be open-minded when talking about ADHD. Um, I've got a lot of compassion for a lot. In fact, I'll, I'll explain some stories in a moment, but I have a lot of compassion for people who struggle with these kinds of behaviors. Um, and it is a good thing to understand ourselves better, but I think we should be asking questions about how many now are being diagnosed and if this is helpful, if it's necessary. Um, when we're mass putting kids on medications, do we understand those medications? Uh, are there alternatives? Are there side effects? And so it really is a conversation that we should be having. What worries me is when people just blindly do something and they're not doing the research and asking questions and going back in time and going, why does it look different now to all those years ago? So I want you to ask yourself, why would I get offended by a search for truth? And I think the reason people get offended is because we tend to take on these diagnoses as identities. And so it's like, well, this label, this diagnosis is not just defining my behavior, it defines who I am. And we hear it all the time, especially with ADHD, right? Like, oh, that's my ADD talking, almost like this throwaway line. Or you hear people say like my anxiety. And so they take these things on as an identity. So when you try and discuss or unpack the science or ask questions, they take it as a personal attack on them, like you're invalidating them. And we hear a lot of, well, this is my experience, but one person's experience is not necessarily true for everyone. But it's almost become like, as if in the eyes of some, if you have a healthier experience of something like ADHD, that you shouldn't be heard. That if you learn to manage it and you don't hold the title up, you know, and tell everyone about it and you don't make a big deal and maybe you even learn to harness it, well, we don't want to hear from those people. And that's concerning. I mean, where on the internet do we hear from adults who have children who struggle with ADD-like behaviors who manage it in alternate non-medicated ways? Like you barely hear about it we tend to have a propensity to glorify this struggle and to dramatize. Now, guys, I'm living with an example. Cameron is a perfect example right here. He definitely could fit the label of uh, ADHD, not only now, but definitely as a child. The stories that I hear about him and people like Cameron, in fact, we've never even sat down and done the ADHD test, but I've got so much experience with it. I'm like, oh my Lord, I'm pretty sure he would fit that bill. But he could easily have had the diagnosis and be taking the medication. But, and I think this is absolute kudos to his mum. He's embraced it as this is how God's made me. It's not a problem to be labeled and medicated. Um, and it is part of his personality. And he recognizes the strengths that it brings him. And he works on the weaknesses. And that's where him and I are, are a really good kind of pairing together. Um, I'm very structured and he's not. And so he really allows himself to let me kind of lead the way in, in that area of our life. But then I can be too regimented. So he's really good for me. But yet it's almost like, well, I'm not allowed to say that because his experience is somehow inferior, right? Like the only ones deserving of being heard are those with a more traumatic version of events. But I really want to shake the can today because shouldn't we want to be seeking out those who have successfully navigated the journey? 
I know I do, and that's my approach to life. And I want to say this, and I feel like this is really going to um, speak to some of you that are listening today. It's very countercultural for me to say this, but I want you to know it's actually okay to be okay. We've been hearing the opposite for a long time, that it's okay to not be okay. But I want to tell you today, it's okay to be okay. It is okay to be well. It is okay to be functional. It is okay to be strong. It's okay to be healthy. And it's okay to be okay. So there you go. I'm sure that, I don't know, let me know if you needed to hear that today. So like I said, I've been listening to a few clinical psychologists on this whole topic, and they've been making some pretty valid points about how we really do make our own reality. And so when we hear people say, you know, oh, well, this diagnosis saved my life or it saved my child being on the meds, according to these psychologists, they're saying, well, look, uh, and this is partly because they're looking at the long-term benefits of the medication, which they are saying, and I need to look into this more, so I don't want to say too much about it, but they're saying that the long-term benefits are just not there. And so what's happening is we are becoming convinced of and making our own reality. And their point is that belief is a powerful thing. And I've told you that before. Like, I am so glad that I am not a child now because I guarantee you I would be diagnosed now um, with childhood anxiety for sure. But I am so glad that that label has never been put on me. And instead, I see it as the opposite. I'm like, I'm strong. I'm not an anxious person. I'm a strong person who might sometimes feel anxious. And I've seen this time and time again, that there is great power in being told that we are something or we have something. So I think we need to question ADHD because it's just not normal or right that people en masse, and please hear me, I'm not talking about the few genuine ones. I'm talking about the fact that this is becoming en masse, one in 20 Australians, that they're being told they have something wrong with them, or even worse, that ADHD like is is a superpower because it's just so like common. So you've got this superpower. It's like, well, just because something is common doesn't mean that it's normal, especially when we are drugging a large number of children and teenagers. This is just wild to me. I personally am not a fan at all of labels or of diagnoses unless they are truly helpful, which in a few cases, and I will stress a few, it definitely is. But like I said, now there's this mass labeling, and this is what I'm not a fan of. And I knew this even as a younger teacher. I think it should be used very sparingly. And once upon a time, like I said, it was only given by clinicians if there was something wrong and that child uh, was so severely impacted that they had to come you know, and see a pediatrician and, and get clinical help for it. So ADHD was basically, even in those rare cases, that was the title or the diagnosis given to a bunch of these behaviors where they just couldn't work out what was wrong. They couldn't work out the root the root condition or issue. And so they didn't fit any other disorder. And so ADHD was like this slap on, well, we don't know what's wrong, but we can see there's something wrong. So boom, ADHD. That's a bit of a concern. Like if you really, or if we understood that that is the background to ADHD, it was never actually a 
properly diagnosed condition. It was a, hey, you don't fit any of these other disorders that they knew about, so we'll just slap this one on. Now, young boys in my classroom over the decades uh, that did find the classroom environment challenging, they often did quite well in my class, only to suddenly get diagnosed the next year in the next teacher's class, which always used to frustrate me. Because even before I was aware a lot of a lot of the things I'm aware of now, something didn't make sense to me back then. I never thought that a lot of these boys were ADHD. I just thought they were active and spirited and energetic. And here they were going from a kindy where they were moving around and allowed to go and play and they were, you know, very autonomous with what they wanted to do. And all of a sudden they're stuck in this classroom five days a week, eight hours, seven hours a day, but in four walls. And I loved these boys. Now, as I said, there were a few who I was like, they're beyond. They need clinical intervention. But most of them, they were just being boys. I loved them. I understood them. And look, I mean, for goodness sakes, I married I married Cameron, right? And we always laugh. We always laugh that he would have been the kid with the ADHD. And here's me. You know, he grew up and he married a teacher. But this is a part of his personality, like perfectionism is a part of mine. And I love that his mum refused to have these labels on him because she understood the power of belief. She taught him how to learn to harness it. She put good people around him, and it's actually made him the incredible leader that he is today. Now, in my household, there are five people. We're nearly all adults now. Ashton's 17, nearly 18. He's the youngest. You know, out of the five people in my household, not one of us have a diagnosis of anything. Not one of us is medicated. Now, this isn't a judgment on anyone listening who is, but I think we need more to to role, role model this more, that this is a good thing, that this should be celebrated. Like, okay, this is really good. But what has happened to society and us as individuals that my family are the absolute like, whoa, we're the unusual ones. We're the exception. And what's normal now is to have at least one person in a family with a diagnosis and be managing some sort of a pill box. Now, I'm definitely going to split this into two parts. I was going to do it in one, but I've just got so much more to cover. But where I want to finish off here, and then I'll let you know what I'm going to talk about next week. Maybe, do you know what? Maybe I'll even release these two episodes together. That'd be a treat. Then you guys can listen back to back. Um, But let me just finish with this scripture. 3 John 1 verse 2, because this is also what I think to myself, right? Christian worldview. I'm like, how does God intend us to live? And while, of course, um, you know, God understands and not he understands, like he knows that we are living in a fallen world in a world where, you know, there is sin and there is sickness and all of those things that we can acknowledge. But it doesn't mean that we still don't have faith and look at the way that God intends for us to live, which is for us to prosper and to thrive. And so I want to finish with a scripture, which is 3 John 1, 2. And I want you to speak this over your life. I want you to let these words wash over you. But this is what it says, beloved, I pray you to prosper concerning all things and to be in good health, just as your soul prospers. I love this scripture. Uh, Let me read it to you again especially this part, I pray you to prosper concerning all things. That can mean we can apply this to every area of our life, including these labels, including to pop psychology. And this is my issue with a lot of pop psychology. It's not 
helping us to prosper concerning all things. And then it's very clear here. It says, and to be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So I want to leave us there. I'm going to do part two, and I might even release these back to back just as something different. Um, And then you can listen close together, but we're going to get into how this is diagnosed. And then I want to have a look at the medication. And then I want to finish off with some suggestions on maybe where to from here. So thank you for joining me today. I love you guys. Make sure that you go along five star written review. That would be so helpful. I love you and I will see you very soon in part two. Bye.